Good morning, Inland Empire Church. It's so good to be with you. Uh, today we're going to continue in our Rooted series, starting in the book of Ephesians. And I'm really excited to be able to uh, preach this sermon today. Now, the book of Ephesians was written by Paul while he was in prison. And Paul wrote it about 60 to 62 AD. And it was written to encourage disciples uh, to walk as fruitful followers of Christ and to serve in unity and love in the midst of the trials and persecutions that they were facing. So they were facing a lot of stuff uh, in their world. You know, we're facing a lot of stuff right now. So hopefully you can relate uh, to some of what uh, Ephesians 1 covers today. Now, Ephesus was a very diverse community with people from all walks of life. And they worship Greek and Romans gods uh, alike. And so people really wanted to have a connection with God or a God. And yet it was very mysterious to them. They didn't really uh, connect with, uh, with a God or God. And it opened up the way for the gospel to be able to preach to these people who were looking to connect with the deity. And Paul was... Uh, through this letter, wanting to encourage the disciples throughout the whole region to glory in God and to be completely unified in every way so that not only they could be close to God, close to each other, but also help reach all the, all the lost uh, around them uh, in their region. And, you know, you had Jews and Gentiles in one church, so the church was growing in their Gentile population, and Jews and Gentiles were so different uh, that definitely Satan would get in there many times and try to divide them uh, because of their ethnicity, because of their culture, uh, just a lot of their different practices and views. And Satan could easily do that uh, with, with disciples and with people in general, as I'm sure that we could attest to. It's hard to remain unified, but unity is needed in the church. Unity is needed with us and God, right? We got, we got to really connect with God in a deep way. And Jesus came to die for us so that we could be unified to the Lord. And so in the church, Paul is addressing these things here in, in Ephesians 1, uh, because he wanted them to avoid all the pitfalls in a divided and fallen world. So we're going to go ahead and start with a short video. Actually, it's, it's, it's a little longer video. I'm sorry. It's about eight and a half minutes uh, from the Bible Project. And it's going to be a whole overview of the book of Ephesians. Hopefully you really enjoy it. Let's go ahead and go to that video right now. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus is really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there, and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. 
In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel, how all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word, therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story, personally, in our neighborhoods and communities and in our families. So let's dive in and we can see how Paul develops all of this. Chapter 1 opens with a beautiful Jewish-style poem where Paul praises God the Father for the amazing things that he has done in Christ Jesus. From eternity past, the Father has purposed to choose and bless a covenant people. And think here, the family of Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And through Jesus now, anyone can be adopted into that family. Jesus' death covers our worst sins, our worst failures, and in Jesus we find God's grace. In fact, Paul says, that grace has opened up a whole new way for us to understand every part of our lives. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, that God's purpose was to unify all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, which is a title that means Messiah. God's plan was always to have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. This divine purpose became clear, Paul says, when we were first made into that family. And here he's referring to ethnic Jews in the family of Abraham. But then Paul talks about how you, and here he means non-Jews, you all heard about Jesus and the salvation through him. And you were also brought into this family by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here he's referring to the events told in the stories of Acts about how God's Spirit brought together Jew and non-Jew into one family in Jesus. It's just like God promised to Abraham long ago. Notice also how in this poem, Paul begins by talking about God the Father, but then about Jesus the Son, and then he here at the end about the Spirit. All three work together as Paul tells the story of the gospel. It's really cool. After the poem, Paul responds with a prayer. He prays that these followers of Jesus would not just know about, but personally experience the power of the gospel, that they would be energized by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him as the exalted head of the whole world. Now, in chapter two, Paul goes back and he elaborates on some key ideas from the poem in chapter one, especially God's grace and this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. He begins by retelling the story of how these non-Jewish Christians came to know Jesus. Before hearing about Jesus, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin, and they were deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. But amazingly, God in his great love and mercy, he saved them, he forgave all of their sins, and he joined their lives to Jesus's resurrection life, and he's brought them back to life too. And so now, having been created as new human beings through Jesus, they have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that God has set before them. Not only have they been shown God's grace, they've also been invited into a new family. Before hearing about Jesus, these non-Jewish people, they were not just cut off from God, they were cut off from his covenant people, the family of Abraham. And for a really practical reason, the commands of the Sinai covenant, they formed like a boundary line around the family. They were like a barrier that kept most non-Jewish people away. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled and the barrier is removed 
the two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it, a new unified humanity that can live together in peace. So Paul goes on in chapter 3 to marvel at the unique role that he got to have in spreading this good news to non-Jewish people. And even though he's in prison, he's thanking God for the chance he's had to see this covenant family grow so huge. So Paul closes the first half of the letter with another prayer. This time he prays that Jesus' followers would be strengthened by God's Spirit to simply grasp and comprehend the love that Christ has for his people. The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears, and he starts challenging the reader to respond to the gospel story by how they live their own life story. So he starts in chapter 4 with just the everyday life of the church. The church is a big family with lots of different kinds of people, but he emphasizes that they are one. And one is a key word in this chapter. They are one body that's unified by one spirit. They have one Lord with one faith. They have one baptism. They believe in one God. That's a lot of unity. However, Paul says, unity is not the same thing as uniformity. He goes on to explore how Jesus's new family consists of lots of very, very different kinds of people, but they're all empowered by the one Holy Spirit, each using their unique talents and passions to serve and to love each other and to build up the church. And here he uses two really cool metaphors. One is building up the church as a new temple. And the second is that they are all becoming a new humanity with Jesus as the head. And this new humanity is a metaphor he's going to then run with for the next couple chapters. Paul challenges every Christian to take off their old humanity, like a set of old clothes, and to put on their new humanity in which the image of God is being restored. And he then goes on into this long section where he compares this new and old humanity. So instead of lying... New humans speak truth. Instead of harboring anger, they peacefully resolve their conflicts. Instead of stealing, new humans are generous. Instead of gossiping, they encourage people with their words. Instead of getting revenge, new humans forgive. Instead of gratifying every sexual impulse, new humans cultivate self-control of their bodily desires. Instead of getting drunk, new humans come under the influence of God's spirit. And he spells out what that influence looks like in four different ways. The first two have to do with singing, singing together, but also singing alone. And this is really interesting that the first thing that Paul thinks of about how the spirit works in the lives of Jesus' people is singing and music. The third sign of the spirit's influence is being thankful for everything. And the fourth is that the Spirit will compel Jesus' followers to put themselves underneath others and to elevate others as more important than themselves. And Paul actually expands on this fourth point by showing how it works in Christian marriage. So you have a wife who follows Jesus. She is called to respect and to allow her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is called to love his wife and to use his responsibility to lay down his selfish agenda and to prioritize his wife's well-being above his own. And Paul says it's this kind of marriage that's actually reenacting the gospel story. The husband's actions mimic Jesus and his love and his self-sacrifice. The wife's actions mimic the church, which allows Jesus to love her and to make her new. Paul then applies the same idea to children and parents as well as slaves and masters. 
Paul closes out the letter by reminding these Christians of the reality of spiritual evil. These are beings and forces that will try to undermine the unity of Jesus' people and to compromise their new humanity. And so Paul challenges them to stand firm and to put on this metaphorical set of body armor, which he describes in detail. And Paul has drawn all of these pieces of body armor from the book of Isaiah and how Isaiah depicted the messianic king. And so now, as the Messiah's follow we need to make the Messiah's attributes our own since we make up Jesus's body. Practically, I think Paul means for Christians to begin to form habits, proactively using prayer and the scriptures and our relationships with each other to help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus. And that's the letter to the Ephesians. Very powerful. It's where Paul summarizes the whole gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our life story. Well, Amen. I hope you really enjoyed the video, uh, the, the whole overview of Ephesians from the Bible Project. That's, those are great videos that they put together. And what we're going to focus on today, on Ephesians chapter 1, is unity in a fallen world. We as disciples of Jesus, those that are followers of Christ, really need to be a great example of unity in a fallen world. You know, the whole world around us is divided, it's falling apart, many people have different views from, you know, that come from different places, some from ignorance, some from education from one side, some from the other, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, people on uh, that hold extreme views, and what we need to do as disciples of Jesus is really strive to be unified in every way, because that's what God wants uh, from us, that's what Paul wanted from the Ephesians, uh, you know, from the Ephesian church, but this church is not just being written to them, but to all of the disciples in the region. As this letter is circulating, they're reading about this unity that God wants them to have. And they really wanted to be able to possess that, to have that. The first thing, I have three points for the message today. Uh, the first thing that we want to do, uh, or that we need to do, if we're going to have unity in a fallen world, is realize that, number one, God is good all the time. I hope that you really believe that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So the scripture starts off with Paul saying, hey, praise be to God. And, you know, God deserves our praise. God is praiseworthy because he is amazing. He is good all the time. He says here that God has blessed us. So we are blessed. We're blessed by him, it says, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything that comes from above, every spiritual gift, you know, we're able to get from God. We're able to tap into that. Now, it's not talking about uh, physical blessings or financial blessings or perhaps other types of of blessings. Sometimes we desire those blessings and we may feel like, well, I'm not really blessed 
uh, Sergio, because I don't have this or I don't have that. And we start kind of feeling bad about ourselves, or we may even start to question the goodness of God. We may even question the church. Well, the church doesn't do this for me or that for me. Uh, we may even not be as blessed as we'd like to be relationally, because sometimes we have relational challenges. You know, and, and, and so it could be easy when we don't get these, uh, you know, uh, human blessings or earthly blessings uh, or worldly blessings to feel like we are not blessed. But I tell you what, God has blessed us, as this scripture says, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So I want to encourage you, don't quit. You know, don't, don't throw in the towel. Don't feel like, uh, you know, you, you don't have friends or don't feel like God is not with you or blessing you. He absolutely is. What we need to do is be able to look at things from God's perspective and say, praise God. When something happens that, you know, you may not look at as a blessing, start looking, looking at it as, man, what does God want to do in my life with this? There's something better that God has in mind when you feel like things are not going your way. There is a spiritual blessing there. You just got to open your eyes to it. Sometimes we just don't see it. It also says that he has chosen us and to adopt us before the creation of the world. Imagine that. God has chosen you. You specifically, since the creation of the world, to adopt you. And here, the word adopted is referring to a Roman adoption with all the rights and privileges of even a blood uh, son. You know, somebody that was of, uh, of, you know, your own flesh and blood. He's saying, man, you have all those rights. Every single one of those rights. You are a son or a daughter of God. Just like the Jews were sons and daughters of God, so are the Gentiles sons and daughters of God. And this had to be something that the Gentiles were really excited about because they saw the connectedness that the Jews had with God and they wanted that. And so we need to be able to say, praise God because of that. If you ever question that you are not special to God, you know, if you feel like, gosh, I don't think I'm really special to him because of this or that in my life, I tell you what, God thinks you're special. He chose you since the creation of the world to be adopted by him with every benefit that comes from being a child of God. But the world and Satan want to tell you lies, want to tell you you don't belong or you don't fit in with God. You know, I know that for my wife and I, there is nothing that our kids could do to make us stop loving them. No matter how short you've fallen, no matter what you've done in your life, even as a Christian, if you've really blown it, God loves you and you are special to Him and He wants to have a great relationship with you. You know, our kids are so special to my wife and I. Again, there's nothing that they could do to make us stop loving them. Now they've tried. They've done some crazy things, which, you know, sometimes you want to kind of strangle them a little bit, shake them up. But, you know, we could do all sorts of stuff where we fall short, whether we have done it, uh, you know, accidentally, not really meaning to, we've sinned, 
or you've sinned greatly intentionally, you know, God wants you to be with Him. God wants a relationship with you. If you've strayed, come back to Him. You are chosen by Him. You are beautiful in His sight. In Christ, we are beautiful, holy, and blameless in His sight. That's what the Scripture tells us here. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, I want to challenge you to make this Scripture your theme Scripture. God does not lie. You are holy and blameless and special and beautiful in His sight. He loves you. You are His treasured possession. You know, Satan is a liar and he wants to make you think otherwise. You are loved. It says that He has poured out His grace on us through Jesus Christ, the one He loves. You know, if, if God loves Jesus as much as he does and as much as we see throughout the scriptures. And yet he allowed him to go to the cross so that he could die for you and for me and all this grace be poured out on us. Think about how much he loves you and how much he loves me. And because of that, we ought to be loud in terms of our praises to God. God, thank you. We praise you because of all these things, because of all the blessings that we have spiritually in you. Perhaps we don't have everything that the world desires, but we have everything spiritually that anybody could ever need or desire. Because of that, we praise you. How do we live that out? We ought to live it out loud. We ought to be able to live lives that the world looks at and says, man, that person really loves God. We are to treat one another and other people even outside the church as special because God has treated us as special beings. Because God has loved us so much, we ought to love each other the same way. This is how we reflect His image in our lives. This is how we reflect His image to other people. We live out our lives in praise as His treasured possession. God is good all the time. I want to give you a little homework assignment. Work on developing a narrative in your life that God is good all the time. Stop looking at things from a worldly perspective and look at them that way. List out a specific situation or situations that are really challenging to you right now. Maybe something you're struggling with. Pray about it and meditate on this and write out how God could use this situation for you to be able to open your eyes and see a spiritual blessing in it. Don't look at it from a worldly perspective, but look at it for how you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Look at it in a spiritual fashion. Point number two, Jesus brings unity between man and God. God wants us to be unified to him through Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth 
under Christ. So we've been forgiven in him. You know, in him we have redemption through his blood. That's what the scripture says here. We have forgiveness of sin. He has lavished his grace on us. Well, what does that mean, Sergio? Well, it's almost like we've been showered in forgiveness and in grace. You know, I used to go visit uh, my, my, my country of birth, Nicaragua, uh, probably about once a year, once every year and a half. And I used to go visit the church over there and help out with some things. But we'd go to the outskirts of the city and go to these small towns. And we would stay in this hotel or motel. I don't know what you want to call it. But, you know, it was, it was very, uh, very much, um, you know, in, in the kind of like in the backwoods. It was way out there uh, in the country. And we would stay in this hotel and there were scorpions and there were snakes in the area. And then you could go in the shower and I was not used to this anymore. I'm, I'm very Americanized now. But you'd go in the shower. And what you had as a shower was a bucket filled with water with the ladle. And, you know, it was probably about two gallons of water. And you'd soap up with this bar soap that was real scratchy. It almost felt like sandpaper. And then you'd get the ladle and kind of pour it over yourself. And try not to use more than a gallon of water. Because you'd want some water for the next person that came after you. But... I didn't feel, just to be honest, I didn't feel totally clean after that ladle shower with a gallon of water. There was, there was still a little stickiness and dirtiness that I felt. You know, and, and God, when he offers us his forgiveness, it's not like that. It's not like you just barely kind of clean yourself a little bit or with a wet towel. It's like he gets a fire hose and just whoosh, you know, he just lavishes his grace and forgiveness on you and on me. So we are completely clean. I don't know if you've ever seen people that get sprayed down with a high pressure pressure hose. You know, it's kind of scary. It's kind of funny at the same time. They're blown away. But, you know, I guarantee you they're clean after that. Uh, but God cleanses us completely like that. Showers us in his grace fully for life. Isn't that amazing? Fully for life you've been forgiven by God. And so he wants us to walk with him. It says that he makes his will known to us through Jesus and his word. And because he does that, we're able to walk closely with him. And he's not a mystery to us. He's revealed himself to us. Now, the Roman gods and the Greek gods in Ephesus and the surrounding cities were kind of a mystery to people. You know, they couldn't really be close to them or walk with them. But God is not like that with us. He's not a mystery, but He's fully known to us. And He relates to us in every way through Jesus who came in the flesh. He longs to be close to us. And so He sent Jesus so He could unify us to Him. Isn't that amazing? So we could walk with Him because of Jesus. He wants us to live like Jesus and not like our own selves. He wants us to be these new beings that we don't follow our will or desires, but God's. And so we surrender our will to be united with him. Jesus came to bring unity between us and God. And we got to realize that because of that, the world is not our home. He has established his kingdom in heaven, but also on earth through Jesus to be able to bring unity and harmony to all things uh, on earth 
and in heaven and everything under Jesus' lordship. And because of that, because we're citizens of God's kingdom here on earth, one day we will be with him in heaven and we will reap the reward of our inheritance when we're no longer part of this earth and the kingdom here on earth, but the one in heaven. That's going to be an awesome day when we're unified with God and with him and Jesus in our eternal home in heaven. But while we're here on earth, we got to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We got to take pride in our heavenly citizenship, not consider ourselves Nicaraguan or American and really find, you know, this deep nationalistic pride, but one where, you know, we have our, uh, you know, our whole being is on our earthly, or I'm sorry, on our, on our heavenly citizenship. We belong to Jesus. He is our Lord. And so I want to give you this other homework assignment. You're going to have three homework assignments today. Journal how you can live a life in a way that communicates by your actions and words that you are a citizen of God's kingdom and that you take pride in that because you've been forgiven. You've been showered with grace. And so you walk in him. You know, while we're here on earth, we're going to feel pain, we're going to hurt, we're going to suffer while we're here on earth because we're not in heaven yet. And we got to remember that Jesus came to die for us so that we could be unified with God. And he has a great purpose for us while we're still here on this earth. And that leads us to point number three, that Jesus came to bring unity between all of us, the family of believers and also those that are lost that we may bring them in and help them Ephesians 1 11 through 16 it says in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we now Paul is talking about the Jews there who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you now talking about the Gentiles, us, and the, and the audience there, also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who, had, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So God has a promise or a plan for us all. So we have been chosen, as Paul addressed it before. And Paul is talking to the Jews, and then he's also talking to the Gentiles. He says, God has a plan or has a plan, had a plan for all of us since the beginning of time, both for Jews and for Gentiles alike. We were included in Christ, he says here. And when we responded to the truth, you know, we became part of the family, the diverse family of God. Isn't that awesome? And then we were sealed. We were given this deposit, a promise we received the seal 
of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like an earnest money deposit. Uh, when you when you go buy a house, do you give this deposit that you are promising? I'm going to follow through on this deal till the very end. Uh, I'm not going to back out. You know that that's what Jesus says. Uh, that's what God is saying here. When He gave us His seal, He's saying, "Hey, as long as you follow, you're part of the deal. I am not backing out at all. This is a promise for you. I have given you the Holy Spirit." This, this deal will not be voided by God. God is going to remain faithful to us to the end. Now, we have to remain faithful to Him. Now, we ought to be joined at the heart. That's what Paul wanted for the brothers and the sisters. And he says, because you have also been brought to unity, God, by Jesus, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul and the Jewish brothers and sisters felt very united to the Gentile brothers and sisters. He was super grateful for them. You know, he was united. He was joined to them at a heart level. He didn't look at their differences and say, well, I don't agree with you, so I can't really love you the way that God wants me to. Or, you know, we're different in these ways or that way. Paul was joined at the heart to them. And he wanted the Gentiles to be joined at the heart or at a heart level with them as well. And what did he do to show that? He expressed his love towards them. He gave thanks for them. He prayed for them uh, at, you know, at a daily, on a daily basis. And so how do we express our love towards one another? Even when we are not alike, we express that in words we call each other, we pray for each other, we pray with each other. You know, I'm so thankful uh, for Nick Anderson. He planned a prayer night uh, on Friday night for a bunch of different brothers, and he invited them all from the different sectors, and they just prayed for unity. What a great example of expressing love towards one another. Thank you so much, Nick, for uh, planning that. That's awesome. Uh, I got a text this week from Robert Ramon. Uh, you know, just expressing, uh, you know, how much he uh, cares for me and that he wants to offer any kind of help he could uh, within the region, uh, you know, with the AV and whatever, whatever else that he could do. You know, I really appreciate him. I get a card from Lisa Kunka every time I preach. I'm so grateful for her encouraging me. Even during times of COVID, she texts me a picture of a card, not just me, but anybody uh, who preaches. You know, I'm so grateful for all the leaders, uh, all the small group leaders in the Rancho Cucamonga Church who are coming together right now, uh, you know, during a time of transition to be strong and fill in in every single way uh, that they can. I'm so thankful for my friendship, uh, our friendship with Rich and Renee Rootsager in, in Rancho, you know, talking to them about all that's going on in their life and their group and, and all the dreams that they have uh, for God. They dream big, you know, and I'm so grateful uh, for them. Uh, so so grateful for all the different people that are in our lives uh, in, in the Riverside ministry, uh, you know, in, in the Desert Cities ministry. So many, many people that are just unbelievable. So different then Kristen and I, and yet we're joined at the heart. 
you know, and that's, that's so amazing. I've had a chance to talk just recently uh, with, with Brian Best and Lavise, uh, you know, with uh, Eric and Tyrone Walker. Uh, I've had a, you know, great friendship for a long, long time with the Valerios, with John and Celia uh, Valerio. With, uh, with the Browns, Scott and Abena Brown, uh, our partnership with them is amazing. Uh, with the Counts, who just moved here not too long ago, uh, incredible partnerships that we have joined at the heart. You know, people uh, that, that we've gotten close to throughout the Inland Empire, you know, we got to fight for those relationships. We're not perfect because we often sin against each other. I know that I've sinned against people, but we got to fight for the best cause possible, which is our unity with one another in God's kingdom. We're going we're gonna to mess up, guys, but we cannot quit on each other. I know that even over the last couple of weeks, I've heard people that just want to quit, that want to give up because they've bumped heads with other people. And I tell you what, that's going to happen. It's part of life. Don't quit on each other, but be joined at the heart. Don't ever, ever quit on each other. Why, Sergio? You know, I'm kind of fed up with some things because God has never quit on you. And so you got to have the same type of heart to not quit on others. We got to grow to trust each other's hearts because we have the spirit of the living God in us. We may have different upbringings and, you know, we may at times be ignorant of each other's cultures and backgrounds and differences. But you should never quit on each other. That's worldly. That's what the world does. Let's not do that in God's kingdom. Jesus wants to bring us to complete unity. And so allow him to perfect his love in you towards other brothers and sisters. Allow him to work on your heart and bring you to complete unity with your brothers and sisters in the church, even those that are way different than you. If we are to love our enemies, which the Bible calls us to, how much more should we love our brothers and sisters that are part of God's kingdom? You know, I know sometimes we anger each other. We upset each other. But it's absolutely no reason to quit on one another. Remember that Jesus brings unity between us. If we truly believe in Jesus, if we have faith in him, we are going to follow his plan of being unified. When we sin against one another, we're supposed to talk to each other and resolve things, pray about things, and win each other over. So I have this last homework assignment for you. I want you to pick three people in the church this week, and it may be somebody who you're not seeing eye to eye with. Maybe somebody you're not getting along with. I want you to get to know them better without trying to teach them a lesson without stating to them why you disagree with them and ask them tell me about your upbringing how you were raised your experiences tell me about your biggest hurts and also tell me about your biggest joys and how God has brought healing to your heart
and share those things with each other as opposed to trying to argue with one another. And let's get unified. Let's allow Jesus to work in our lives and bring us to complete unity. So lastly, I want to close out with this. If we are going to have unity in a fallen world, we're going to have to really understand that God is good all the time. Don't question His goodness because of COVID, because of racial injustice, because of things that you may be suffering right now. God is good all the time. Remember, He chose you since the beginning of time, and you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Remember that Jesus brings unity between man and God. God sent Jesus so that we could have a close walk with Him. we got to walk with Him. Remember, this world is not your home. And live your lives as citizens of God's kingdom. And remember that Jesus came to bring unity between us here in the church. And that we could reach out to others that don't yet know God. And bring them to a family that is unified despite all their differences. Let's be a great example of how to have unity in a fallen world. Let's go ahead and pray at this time for the, for the communion. Let's go to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, for how you love us, how you've forgiven us. God, you are good all the time. I know that despite the challenges that we face, God, you have blessed us in every spiritual way. You have given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for dying for our sins so that we could be united to God. Thank you, Lord, for making that possible. I know that without Jesus dying for us, we would not have a chance in the world of having a relationship with you, God. And thank you for Jesus bringing unity between us uh, as a body, as a church, between our brothers and sisters, and even giving hope that we could be unified with those that are lost, bringing them into God's kingdom. I pray that our example in following Jesus preaches loudly. As we take the communion, Lord, forgive us for where we've fallen short, for every careless word that we've spoken, for those uh, worldly and, and, and godless thoughts that we have had. Bring us to complete unity, Lord, in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.